Isaiah Thomas, the jump shot. Book it. It's a triple. Isaiah Thomas from deep. Thomas going to the hole. He can do it outside. He can get to the rim whenever he wants. Thomas takes it all the way. And the foul. The Euro Stephon Smith. Isaiah Thomas going against a seven-footer. Welcome back to a special edition of the ATO Show live in Boston. I am Matt Ignall. And folks, I was inspired by the outpouring of emotion for Isaiah Thomas's return on Monday night. You know, too often in this show, we, we exist in a, a bubble here, and we're, we're too isolated from the feelings of true fans. And that's why I am taking this show on the road. Fan on the street, fan on the street, looking for fellow Celtics fans. Yes, I am near the courthouse now. Any, any Celtics fans? Any Celtics fans got something to say? Hello? Yes? This uh, rather desperate-looking man right up against the building. He's waving me over. He's all disheveled and is gesticulating wildly with one hand. H- Hello, sir. You, you have something to say to the listeners? Did you happen to catch the Isaiah Thomas tribute? So I, I just want to talk about uh, this Isaiah Thomas, uh, or whatever the hell we got going on. Th- this guy is uh, a, a D-League player, and we're sitting here... Uh, and we got to stop the game to give this guy a friggin' medal. Last time I checked, uh, there, there was no titles involved. There was no wins or, or, or what. You freaking lost to the Hawks in six games. Congratulations. This this is Boston. We care about titles. And, and, and touchdown, Tom. You know who's won a ton of titles and is small? Julian Edelman. Where's his tribute video? Boom, you haven't seen one. What's he do? He gets concussed, he takes his horse tranquilizers and human growth hormone, and he gets back out there. That is a Boston athlete. That is what we are. And I just think it cheapens the legacy of Larry Bird, Bob Cousy, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, Chris Humphreys, to to give Isaiah Thomas a, a tribute video. Uh, is uh, frankly uh, 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 tremendously upsetting, and I can't believe the Celtics would do something like that. Uh, also, uh, Kyrie Irving is a murderer. He he is the uh, he is the the, um, the zodiac, and I think it's very clear at this point. Uh, your name, sir? Uh, uh, Sullivan James Sullivan from Braintree. Sullivan, what, what do you think about the the team this year? Where do you see them going in the playoffs? Uh, they're going to lose in three in the first round. Um, uh, there is no possible way that this team um, could conceivably uh, recover. You know, you know when this team really started going downhill was when they let Tyler Zeller walk. Um, I've always said that if you can, you can kind of trace the erosion of this team. You know, because that is when Brad Stevens really lost a handle on things. Um, you know. And now you've got uh, Al Horford, who's tremendously overpaid, by the way. Uh, he's paid uh, the GDP uh, of Granada um, when the Celtics could be using that on uh, better players like Evan Turner, another uh, excellent player that they let walk. And instead they're paying Al Horford, who's uh, a joke, a bum, uh, and and in all ways just a horrible player. I, I was looking at his stats. He, he, he won't even get like like 12 points. Uh, what, what is that? And if you divide 12 by the final score, 
is that worth $30 million? Well, what? If you paid uh, everyone on the Celtics $30 million and and they they all five of them scored 12 points, you'd have that's a 60 point team. But I, I'm no I'm no genius, but uh, it seems like Danny Ainge needs to be fired. Um, the Celtics uh, need the clean house, and they and they need to get this straight, and they need to do things um, you know more like uh, the the Boston uh, Red Sox and and New England Patriots to uh, fine organizations uh, with uh, little uh, little mess or, or or shady history in, in their rearview mirror. Sir, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, and, and please don't spit on me this time. Uh, okay, I'm sorry uh, about that. I've got what we call uh, uh, the the fighter's saliva. Uh, that is what my uh, my mother called it uh, right before um, the offices took me away. Um, I was born and raised in Braintree. I have been um, fighting against uh, probably uh, I, I would say I'm something of a, a social worker in that I uh, tackle um, systems of power and injustice. Uh, that have traditionally sort of held down people uh, in the United States. I am, of course, um, talking about uh, family court uh, and the way that they uh, horribly prosecute fathers. And that's why, you know, you find me here uh, sort of handcuffed in front of uh, the courthouse. Do you have any last message here for Celtics fans? Um, Wake up, green teamers. Smell the coffee. (laughs) Uh, this this the, the Celtics fans are the most delusional fan base in Boston. Uh, they're absolutely ridiculous, um, childish. Um, they're stupid. They get caught up on tropes, whatever the media tells them. Unlike me, um, someone who uh, un- understands uh, which way his bread is buttered, folks. Thanks, Sullivan. Let's head down towards the state house. Uh, though he's handcuffed, I want to get as far as possible away from him. All right, well, as usual, we're, we're not off to a great start. I, uh, I hope that kind of moralizing overreaction isn't the prevailing attitude among Boston's loudest sports fans. You know, you'd think people would be inspired by the smallest guy giving everything to his team. But I guess you, you can't count on everyone. Uh, let's cross here. Oh, oh, there's there's some people gathered over here. Fan on the street, fan on the street. Uh, we're walking up here. Um, sir, what, what is on your mind? Celtics, yes. Did you, did you see the Isaiah Thomas video? What's your name? Jared? Jared, you saw the Isaiah Thomas tribute video? night in every single regard was absolutely beautiful and poetic and really bittersweet uh but it was it was pretty incredible to see what do you what do you think about isaiah Thomas and his time in boston um he was legendary he was a supernova like i haven't seen anything like this before where he he went full supernova full explosion completely burned out hit the highest, pretty much the highest high you could possibly hit, and then of course it's hit the lowest low you could possibly hit. And it's one of the most compelling, I think, now that there's enough distance from it, I look back at it, I think it's like the most compelling story I've ever encountered in, like, the NBA. I've never seen anyone do what he did and go through what he went through at that level. It's not, it's, it's not quite, like, Derek Rose isn't 
quite at that level. I mean, Derrick Rose did win MVP, but I think the adversity wasn't quite the same. And then, you know, there's like, I guess, Yao, whose career ended quickly in T-Mac. But like, this one was, this one was unbelievable. Maybe Gilbert Arenas, his career kind of flamed out in a similar, or totally different story, but like, very like hard cut in the way that his career kind of flamed out. How did, how did Isaiah and his time in Boston personally affect you? Personally. First, I was a man on the street. I don't have a personal connection. I, uh, I mean, you know, Isaiah, I had a, I had a good relationship with him. It was great to see him when he came back. I think the thing that I remember the most about him was I was in Washington, D.C., and I started getting all these texts and calls. Family members asking me if I was okay. I had no idea what was going on. And I found out there was a, like a massive fire in the neighborhood next to mine in Cambridge where I live. And if the fire, I don't think anyone got, nobody got killed, thankfully, but the fire burned down like several blocks in Cambridge. And I got home a couple of days later and Isaiah threw an event at, uh, at like the hotel in the area where he brought every single person that had been displaced by that, uh, by the fire. And he met with every single one of them, took a photo with all of them, set up like a game night for all the kids to have fun, gave away like tons of shoes, toys, uh, actual like, you know, like sustenance needs, stuff like that. He got the mayor to come by. I mean, and this was like all him. It was all him and the community service team that they have. They have a really great community outreach team with the Celtics. And you know, that, that meant so much because it's like so rare that, uh, you know, that an athlete's community outreach actually affects you. And if you're one of the lucky people to witness that, I mean, it didn't affect me directly, but it affected like my town. And that meant so much to me. And I think that, that represents the kind of guy that he is more than anything is he's someone that truly loves people. Uh, he, he loves being part of a community. And that was like obviously so, that was so apparent with this whole thing on Monday. Uh, but he was just someone that, loved Boston in a way that I don't know if I've really seen any other athlete do in such a short time. It was like a, the bond that he had with the city was so remarkable that it, it really explains why there's so many people from outside of Boston who are saying like Boston's overreacting to Isaiah Thomas and like, like all he did was have one good season where he scored a lot of points. It's like those people clearly do not understand what Isaiah Thomas meant to this city. What would you say to the people inside Boston who uh, think that Isaiah Thomas didn't deserve a tribute video. Is that a real thing? I mean, I'm happy to punch a straw man in the face. I just heard it a, a couple minutes ago. This lunatic <laughs> was, was all over me, and he, he was he was not happy. He, he said Isaiah Thomas didn't win a title. I mean, yeah, that that's definitely not the barometer for uh, whether or not you deserve a tribute video. I mean, didn't Kelly Olynyk get a tribute video? So I think Isaiah deserves one. Isaiah, you know. Isaiah said he wore the shoes that he wore on Monday night. Those shoes were meant for if they made the finals. Isaiah got the teams at the conference finals. He, got, he did it with like one hip working and then things got, and then, you know, kind of fell apart from there. I don't think if, if he, even if he was 100% healthy, they weren't going to beat that Cavalier team. The Cavs are just way too much for the Celtics. But I mean, he would have gotten them pretty close to the finals with, in a pretty remarkable manner with a team that is, that would be, I think would be looked back on as probably the least talented team to make the finals in NBA history if they were, they, hell, they would have been one of the least talented teams to even get close to the NBA finals in NBA history. So what he did from a winning perspective was incredible.
absolutely incredible. Went well beyond what Rajon Rondo did when he had his chance to lead the team. Uh, well, I guess that that's not fair because he was kind of the leader of the team in 2010. But the team fell apart. Compare that to like Isaiah and Rondo's was was super renowned here and was a huge superstar when he was with the Celtics. And so I, I think you know Isaiah was he was fifth in MVP voting that year, which is a remarkable achievement. So all all NBA player and. What made him so special was the clutch factor that he played with, where like he was doing his stuff at the end of games. He wasn't just like Devin Booker, you know, scoring like 30 points in the first three quarters, and then the game was kind of like, you know, out of hand in the fourth quarter. Not to denigrate Devin Booker, it's just a random one I'm thinking of. But like Isaiah Thomas was end of the game, put the team on his tiny little back and carried them, and it was remarkable. In every and I was at all those games. All those games were insane. I mean, it was like, it felt like a playoff game. It was the middle of January. It, that, like, the type of intensity and energy that he brought, it was, and you compare it now to, like, Kyrie, who's having a really good season and is probably having, I would probably say his second team All-NBA at this point. But, like, Kyrie isn't quite bringing out that level of excitement and wonder and consistency that Isaiah was able to do on a completely consistent basis at the end of that last great season that he had in Boston. What do you think of the Celtics this year? Where do you see them going as we near the playoffs? Oh, they suck, whatever. Um, no, I'm just kidding. They, uh, they're, they're, I don't know, they, every time they get better, then all of a sudden they take a step back. One step, one step forward, two steps back. They are kind of marching in place. Right now, they're playing pretty well. They had a good road trip. I mean, they caught the Warriors at the right time. The Warriors have lost to a lot of teams lately, so it wasn't like just like the Celtics got them and Phoenix got them for God's sakes. Uh, it's so, you know, it was a good road trip and they lost, uh, they lost a game to Denver that they probably should have been a little, you know, they should have, they probably should have won that game, but Denver's one of the best teams in the league, so, you know, whatever. Crapshoot there, but they have this game against Philly on Wednesday night. That's, I think, the biggest barometer because Philly's rolling. Philly is figuring out how to make the most out of the all the amazing pieces that they have, and the Celtics need to show that they can. St- and also, Philly just had a huge win over Milwaukee, so Celtics need to hold that down and kind of like hold the the foot over the neck of the Sixers as they've been doing this whole time, and remind them that they own the playgrounds. And if they can do that, I would say that the Celtics are then at that stage where they're building up momentum towards playoffs. If they lose, if they, you know, they lose the game in a tight game, then, you know, whatever, fine, it's two great teams going at it. But if they get outclassed by the Sixers in that game, I would say that would be another red flag that they're going to be continuing to kind of march back and forth in place. You got any final message for any of the Celtics fans that might be listening? Um, you're all annoying and stupid. If you're in my mentions complaining about Isaiah Thomas in any way, shape, or form. That would be the main message, I would say. Uh, and also, pay attention to the way Kyrie Irving is defending and rebounding. That's been a lot better the last few weeks. And I think that's kind of like the sign of him gearing up for playoff Kyrie. He's been a lot more... I mean, you know, there's still some stuff offensively that I think he needs to work out as far as, like, smart decision-making, being efficient, maximizing efficiency of the shot. But he's really hustling right now. And... You know, in the past, it would be kind of like ebb and flow of, of hustle. And so he would get killed uh, defensively a couple times here or there. 
and it would just kind of be a net negative on defense. But right now, even if he's making defensive mistakes or he's just getting beaten because he's a point guard and point guards, unfortunately, in a switching system are going to get beaten from time to time. But I think he's hustling so hard right now on the boards and on defense that he's starting to make up for it. And right now he's uh, probably a net even, if not net positive on defense. And then, of course, is a great offensive player. So he's really starting to ramp up towards playoff Kyrie. And that's that, you know, that's that next edge that the Celtics can get to that makes them a, you know, a still, no matter what, a finals contender, unless like Kyrie gets hurt or Horford gets hurt and then it's probably done. Wow. You seem really knowledgeable about basketball, uh, Jared. Uh, great, great to get some real insight there. Let's see. What do we have over here? Spot a Celtics jersey, a Celtics jersey, and a Kings hat. Quite the sight, sir. Are are you a Celtics fan? What's your name? What's on your mind? The Russell Westbrook issue has really been, uh, you know, a big deal, which it should be. I I gotta take that. Um, not really ever talked about because I don't think like um, I just don't think like black males don't often get the opportunity to say to say much without being interrupted without being criticized or without being dismissed Um, so it's like oh it's usually like oh you got money shut up or (laughs) you know or nah you talking about something that happened 40 years ago it doesn't happen anymore you know that type of thing so um yeah, I just had an interesting take, and it's not coming from a place of anger or a place of um, what's fair, what's not fair. It's just coming from a perspective, like, because it allows us, um, you know, I think oftentimes when we talk about race, we like to um, we like to punish people who who are offenders, you know, like, like everything else in life. We like to jump on the offender and then move on with our lives. But we often don't learn from where certain thoughts come from. We don't learn from where certain perspectives come from. And we don't educate on how to, um, you know, how maybe we should think. Not to tell people how to think, because I don't think you should control how people think. Um, you have a right to think like you want to. But I think we should understand. If we want to talk about race in a serious way. We should understand how people get the thoughts that they get. And then understand how they affect everyone else. You know, um, in my in my 40 years of living, I'm, I'm not 40 yet, but I will be this year. I've, I've grown up in the 80s. And in the 80s, I would hear white males say these words. Do you actually think in 1988, blah, 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 blah. And then they would say it in 1994. Do you actually think in 1994, blah, 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 blah. And then do you actually think in 2000? Do you actually think in 2015? And now this year they're saying, do you actually think in 2019 um, that you know, white people feel this way. And and then when you reflect back to the years in the past, when you reflect back to 94, 88, or whatever year in the past, they would go, the answer is always, well, those were diff- different times. But we're having the same discussions that we've had back then about, um, you know, how black men are perceived or how black men should be or how black men should think. Um, and we talk about them in, in, in sports and usually the narrative in sports is controlled by a white male between like the ages of like 25 to 60. And the crazy thing is like we, we, we um, I listened to uh, the CLNS show with Adam Kaufman and Maxwell and, and Matt Kaufman was, was kind of asking Maxwell, do you think that, that um, white people prefer white stars? 
in today's uh, sports. And and his perspective is no, but in reality, like you you want to say no, but in reality, man, people like people that look like them. They want to see people that look like them succeed. That's like natural. Like that's not a racist thing. The racist thing is when you say can't nobody else succeed. You know what I'm saying? But naturally, like when I was a kid, uh, black people on TV was still rare to my parents' generation. So whenever a black TV show, a TV show with black people would be out, the show Benson only had one black character, but it was considered a black TV show because it had a black star. You see what I'm saying? And so we would go, oh, got to watch TV now. Benson's on, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Or got to watch TV. The Cosby's are on, you know, that type of thing. Because we wanted to see people that look like us succeed. We wanted to see that. And and that's that's nothing wrong with that. Um, the problem is, is that on the flip side, when you're dealing with the black athlete, the black athlete typically is just dissected and pulled apart and told how to think and told, oh, yo, you got this much money. You should think this way. You should act this way. You should conduct yourself the way we tell you to conduct yourself. You shouldn't have these thoughts. There's no way you're a slave because you're a millionaire. Um, you know, that type of thing. Not and, and, and not understanding the roots of sports in the United States where they had sports during slavery, where you had um, during slavery, you had track meets where slaves would get paid to run. And some 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 slaves, not not all, but some slaves were able to buy their freedom due to sports. Now they got paid. That doesn't mean they weren't slaves still. Today, I'm not saying that. Yo, I'm not just putting a blanket statement. Oh, all black athletes are slaves. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, is that when a black male speaks, when a black male reacts a certain way, it's always seen as um, it's it's just not always seen. It's just critical. It's just critiqued more so in my opinion, than their white counterparts. And this is coming from my perspective. And I just think that um, it's just unfortunate when when it's just dismissed. You know, like how we feel about things as black males, it isn't valued. It isn't valued. It isn't respected. It's just shut up and go play basketball. Just shut up and be happy that you're here in America. You could be somewhere else. And that, 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 that control of know your place, that control of... You know, we still got this and know where you're supposed to be. It's still there. And yes, it bleeds out into the fan bases. And yes, white men, uh, young white men want to see people that look like them succeed. That's why when Steve Nash won that MVP, it was a big deal. Because they hadn't seen anything like that since Larry Bird. <laughs> so it was like, wow, you know. And like I said, there's nothing wrong with that. The problem is, is that on the flip side, you know, it's like, it's just the, the venom and the snarkiness that these guys have. They don't realize how powerful that is. They don't realize how powerful it is when, you know, like even with Kyrie, yes, you know, he got angry at the media, but it's like he don't have a right to be. It's like, yo, no, you get paid all this money. Shut up. Stop. Stop complaining. What you, you know, it's like I'm not saying he was 100 percent right, but the media, of course, jumped all over him. And one thing that I think that happens, too, with um, with the media with white men in the media they hide behind being media and they're able to shoot their darts of kind of like slight racism slight bigotry slight um 
almost media lynching, you know, um, to say the things they want to say. And then they go, oh, we're the media, you know, and it's like, hmm. And I think sometimes they don't even realize how powerful their opinions are and how they bleed to the everyday working man who already, I mean, because like it or not, man, and this is just being real. Most, most white Americans have a sense of privilege and, and they, they, they know it. <laughs> you know, and this is just once again, this is my perspective from growing up and just being around in this earth and seeing how people feel about certain issues and how they feel they're supposed to have something and you're not, you know, just based off of conversations and based off of experiences. Um, because, you know, once again, like the Kyrie everything is just like he, he, you can't say these things. How you gonna tell this man what he can say? You know, like, come on, like you like it or not. He is who he is, and he can he can think the way he wants to. And, and it's just unfortunate that as an athlete and as a black athlete, you just everything you say, do, whatever, it's just like, nah, you can't think this way. You got people that don't want him on the team next year just because he lashed out at the media. Like, that, that's it. And, and just because they are a part of the media, they feel like, oh, he ain't kissing our butt enough. Get him out of here. Um, last thing I will, I will say really is, like, just with the whole – getting down on a knee thing for football you know i'm gonna tell you like in reality man i i haven't really stood for the national anthem in like 20 years um why because i understand the roots of that song and it doesn't i don't relate to it and people think oh you're an american you're supposed no you're not just supposed to blindly do whatever you're that, that once again that's the white privilege thing they they you know people that have white privilege they feel like yeah we are blindly following this because it's our privilege we have this well all of us aren't afforded that privilege so all of us don't feel the same way and so when we see ourselves getting attacked and we see ourselves in our communities you know like you know we go what we go through with the police you know i haven't ever been beaten by the police but i've been harassed by them um i've seen them do some things you know what i'm saying i know about some things that's been done that is damaging to poor communities and how they treat people who don't own property. You know, I've seen those things. So, yeah, like, we go through these things and they're just like, oh, who, who cares? You know, like, we're, we're terrorized in our community by policemen and by criminals. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? In, in many poor communities, it's like that. We're terrorized. But that word terrorism isn't you can't use that word unless you're talking about somebody from the Middle East. You know what I'm saying? So so it's just tricky. And I know I'm going all over the place, but that's just it's just the mindset of, that gets dismissed. Like we our opinions, our thoughts, how we feel about situations is not even allowed to be discussed. It's just totally dismissed. Like, oh, well, no, 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 no. You, you Just be happy you're here and shut up and you know, make your money and be happy you're in America. Like, that's pretty much what we get. And I think that that, that has to change. I have a follow-up uh, question about this. How do you think that this manifests itself in Boston compared to other places? Is, is there something different about Boston? When I listen to Boston Sports Talk Radio and I hear sometimes how the, 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 uh, the host of shows and the um, fans kind of talk about a white player versus a black player there's a difference it feels different you know uh, certain things are tolerated certain kinds of patience is had with white players who are mediocre versus black stars and it was, it was the same way in cleveland you know 
I'm from Cleveland, and Cleveland is a very segregated city. Um, you don't, we, we, we only talk about the sports teams in Cleveland and their miseries, but Cleveland is a very segregated city, and I can kind of relate to, you know, I remember when, when um, you know, they talked about having Manny Ramirez and Tommy on the team. It was like, you're going to be able to keep both of these guys, and there was a feeling that, hey, we got to hold on to Jim Tommy. Manny can go. And during that time, you know, history may say something different, but during that time, man, there was not a more talented hitter in Indians history, in my opinion, than Manny Ramirez. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But Jim Tommy felt right for the for the ticket buyer, for that fan base of greater Cleveland. Cleveland, inner city Cleveland, yes, majority black, but greater Cleveland, majority white. And they live in the suburbs and they have, you know, they, they, they don't they don't relate with the black athlete like they do the white athlete. So when the Cavs played out in Richfield back in the day, they traded Ron Harper because they heard he was hanging with drug dealers from Dayton. You see what I'm saying? Because they had to appease to a fan base that was white and suburban. Like that that's real. Like, you know what I'm saying? So I can relate in that sense. Um but yeah, I, I think that right now in today's current product um, and with what's going on with Kyrie, it's like, yeah, it's the same old thing. It's happening over and over again where if you're a black athlete and you speak, it's like it's um, it's like rolling the dice, man. And I'm not saying Kyrie is 100 percent right. And I, 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 that's not my argument to make right now. But I do know he has the right to feel what he feels. And he's going through something that most of these people that are talking, most of these reporters, fans, they've never gone through. Like, you can tell him, oh, you should just be happy. But you haven't gone through what he's going through right now as a basketball player, as a person. You don't know what that feels like. You're only on the other side. So ask the man, what does this feel like? You know what I'm saying? But no, we're not going to do that. We're going to whip him because right now everything's about immediate reaction. Black or white, not gray. <laughs> you know, everything's either the worst thing in the world or the best thing in the world. And if we don't have no other stories, because there could be way worse stories we could be talking about. You see what I'm saying? If we don't have any other stories. We're just going to figure out what we can find today and what we can hang somebody on today. And that's what happens. Even when you talk about the game, you know, like the Celtics can win by 15 points, right? They can win. But almost on every show, every podcast, every post-game thing well there was this period in the second quarter when they didn't do this 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 and this and it's like man who plays a perfect basketball game every basketball game somebody's trailing (laughs) and then somebody comes back you know but we look for something we can complain about and that's the one thing i agreed for sure about with uh max i mean with uh adam kaufman and and cedric maxwell is that there's a um there's a miserableness you know, right now in the air, there's a, a outrage. Everyone wants to be outraged about something. And what I'm talking about, what I'm talking about, it's not even coming from a place of outrage. I was outraged 20 years ago. Right now, I just see it for what it is. And it's just, this is, in my opinion, my, my, my effort in this is just about educating people about different perspectives. And you don't have to agree with me. That's fine. But just at least understand the perspective on how people see things from different places. And I get I get how white men see things. I get it because it's it's been shoved down my throat my whole life. So I can't help but get it. You know what I'm saying? My thing is understand how other people all over the world feel what they feel. You know what I'm saying? It's it's not it's not a one way street here. You know, it just it just isn't.
like you understand like money and how it works in the world. You understand who controls what. Like you get those. Like you just after a while you gotta get those things. You gotta understand those things, and then you gotta kind of maneuver in between all of that. You know what I'm saying? Like or like just people. Things. Well, if you got that, if you got the balls, then okay. <laughs> Take care. So great to get. I think his name was Zaire. So great to get his unique perspective on things. You know, the, the, the Kyrie stuff is old hat for us at this point, but the scrutiny was just so over the top. So hopefully, hopefully, it's died down for now. Of course, there is always the next controversy. I am looking for a Celtics fan here in the extreme need of a Celtics fan. You, sir, you look familiar. What is your name? You you look agitated. What is on your mind? What's on my mind? I got a lot on my mind. We spent so much time shitting on Bill Simmons about how he doesn't watch the Celtics. He doesn't pay attention. He doesn't have the bandwidth. But now we know for sure. Over the last week or two, I've heard Bill Simmons trash Mr. Marcus Smart, the Cobra, saying things like he's not that good of a basketball player, or he's had a hot and cold year, or even joking around with his bald buddy Ryan Priscillo saying that he's not going to, or that he might make the Hall of Fame. This is the best year of Marcus Smart's career. Everything is up. We used to make fun of Marcus Smart for not being able to hit a three. He's shooting almost... 40%. 40%. Turnovers down. Defense still there. Marcus Smart is the greatest Celtic I have ever seen in my lifetime. And I was on to you, Mr. Bill Simmons. I was on to you when you couldn't pronounce rotation players' names. How fucking hard is it to say Jonas Jerebko? You could say Haley O'Shaughnessy's shitty name, but not Sweden's greatest hooper? Keep the smart slander out of your mouth and focus on bribing USC to let your daughter go there to play soccer. Wow, intense stuff. Uh, so, you're out on Bill Simmons. Who are you in on? I'm in on Robert Williams. I've seen enough Daniel Tice for one season to know he's not the same player as last year. There's something going on with that knee where he's just not the same guy. Robert Williams, although he can't stay healthy and seems to miss games almost as much as Gordon Hayward, Robert Williams, when he is in, was effective. Go back to that Kings game. Robert Williams was a catalyst. Pair him with Al Horford. Al can kind of like do all the things behind the scenes and think for Rob Williams. All Rob Williams has to do is stand there and be athletic. Daniel Tice is not getting it done. He was playing volleyball in that Nuggets game. Could not grab a rebound, but could tap it right to a wide open Will Barton. I'm done with the Daniel Tice experiment. Robert Williams adds the new layer. I'm ready for some time for it. Aren't we all? Uh before we go, do you want to? Uh, do you have any final words that you want to uh, let Celtics Nation know about? Look, the stars are aligning. Brogdon goes down. Lowry goes down. We're getting healthy. Celtics to the finals. Wow, very, very cool and, and very legal stuff. I agree about Marcus Smart, of course. Like now, now you are going to criticize him. He's having by far the best year of his career, earning that starting spot. And, you know, I, I think it's a disservice to him. The couch is improvement solely in terms of shot selection. That's a part of it, of course, uh, but he's clearly put in the work on his shooting. 
He looks quicker and faster with the ball. His handle is tighter. He's getting better looks at the rim now, and it's finally converting them. Uh, the, the passing vision, the defense, they, those were always great, but uh, he's really morphed into an elite role player. Boston loves him, and he loves Boston. So seriously, what, what more can we ask of him? Um, anyway, there, there's a big crowd over here. Uh, it looks like someone is giving some sort of speech or a ra- rally. He, he's just finishing up. Uh, hello, sir. Sir, can, can I have a, a minute of your time? What is your name? Hi, Bernie. What is on your mind? Yo, I want to tell you something about the billionaires. If you will notice, in 1996, before Glass-Steagall was uh, revoked, uh, Tomb Raider, Laura Croft, had the big floppy titties. Now, you look, the billionaires are leeching off of Laura Croft's titties, and we have smaller and smaller Laura Croft titties. This is because of Bill Clinton and his work uh, repealing Glass-Steagall and allowing for microtransactions. This will not stand. We will return Laura Croft to her original form for the gamers and by the gamers. Wow, so you are a gamer? Let me tell you something. I've played many video games in my life. Now, if you look... At back before the financial collapse, we had Resident Evil 4. Since then, it has been garbage. There has been Resident Evil 5. There has been Resident Evil 6. Now, with the emergence of socialism, we are all the way up to Resident Evil 7. And they have brought back Resident Evil 2. Well, it looks like we have company coming this way. That Bernie, don't don't you think that re- Resident Evil 2 is... Uh, is intellectually bankrupt because it's rehashing uh, what has already been done and is exploiting the people because uh, they are paying another $60 for a game that existed already. No, Resident what Evil you 2 say? is lovingly remade. You want to notice something else about Resident Evil 2? It also had giant titties. Well, clearly important issues are being discussed here on the ATO show. In fact, I think that all of these issues discussed on this show were equally important. And, and that's what we do here. We discuss the matters affecting the team while seamlessly tying them to society at large. Um, but before we go, I want to give a shout-out to Isaiah Thomas for inspiring this totally real episode. Uh, Jared Wise of, of The Atlantic. Uh, Zaire for his thoughtful take on the basis of our different perspectives and how they are valued. Uh, as well as Sullivan, John, and Bernie, and oh, our fellow geniuses in the Genius Collective. It, it, it's so great being part of a, a brain genius community. Um, I, I, I think we have the third installment of Dunkings and Drag Screens coming next week. There'll be new characters, new intrigue, lots of mayhem. You're not going to want to miss it. And anyway, I, I'm Matt Egdahl, live from Boston, signing off. We'll see you next week. Given to him by Weird Celtics Twitter. He does kind of make time stand still See? when he goes up for a block. That's what the time lords do, man. Homie, get on the grind like clockwork. Two for five or a dime, that's clockwork. Sure.